Well, please open your copies of God's Word to the book of James. We are entering a new chapter today. Our sermon text is James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. But if you've... um, You're probably growing accustomed to my preaching style. I always like to read the section right before so we keep kind of the flow and the context of what we've talked about last time and the context of the overall letter right up front in our minds. And so what we're going to do is we're going to start at James chapter 1, verse 19, and then we'll read through chapter 2, verse 13. And I would remind you, this is God's holy and inspired word. James, beginning at chapter 1, verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what He was like, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. 
For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful for your word. And we're thankful for this epistle of James and that you have not only inspired it, but that you have preserved it all of these years that we might see what life was like in this generation of your church and that we might glean from the wisdom that you have given here. Lord, would you give us insight into your word? Would you help us to reflect on your word, to have understanding? And would you help us to apply it in our lives? Would you explore our minds? Would you explore our hearts? Would you speak to us? We'd ask for your help this morning, and we'd ask that you'd hear our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Have you ever experienced favoritism? I'm sure, I'm sure you have. If you've ever been someone's favorite, uh, you know that it can uh, feel pretty nice to get that special treatment. Uh, that is, until you figure out what's going on and everyone else around you starts to figure out what's going on, then things could uh, start to get a little bit uncomfortable. But maybe you've experienced favoritism or partiality, but on the other side, maybe you have been treated unfairly. You feel in those moments um, unloved and, and disliked, abused, of course, because it's cruel and it's unjust. There are uh, a couple of high school girls who experienced this in their literature class. Uh, they were very close friends, and so since they were close friends, they talked about everything, and one of them was very upset about the grades she was receiving on her essays. And as they talked, they compared their work, and they discovered that one of them always seemed to get the better score on comparable papers. And so they hatched a plan. They suspected the teacher was being partial, that she favored one of them for whatever reason, and so they started running a test. They began uh, putting uh, their names on each other's papers, and one of them always, always seemed to get the better score. It's unfair, right? It's unloving. And James says that partiality is a sin. You can see that clearly in verse 9. He says, if you show partiality, you are committing sin sin. This passage is about partiality. It's about how you hold the faith. It's about loving people like Jesus loved people. Christians are called to hold the faith without partiality. So we're going to ask the obvious question this morning about the text. What does this passage say about partiality? What does it say about favoritism? and how we ought to love others. 
And the first thing we're going to start with is seeing that Christians should hold the faith without discriminating. That's our first heading. Hold the faith without discriminating. Well, James wastes, obviously, no time uh, making his point and instructing the church. In verse 1, he writes, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. What is partiality? We should probably start right there. Just defining it. It's unfair bias in favor of one person over another. It's favoring one person over others with equal claims. It's giving preferential treatment to one person at the expense of another. It's the conscious withholding of love from someone. James says Christians should show no partiality. You see, the thing to understand is that faith and favoritism are incompatible. Faith and favoritism are incompatible. And he wants you to understand it. He wants you to grasp it. So he gives you an illustration. He gives you an example of the kind of thing that he's talking about. In verse 2, James writes, For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, You sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, You stand over there, or you sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And so you can see the scenario that James paints. Uh, The church is gathered for worship on Sunday morning, and it's crowded this particular Lord's Day, and so seats are scarce. Two men walk into the building around the same time. One of them's looking sharp. He's well put together. He's clean. He's got nice clothing. He's got gold jewelry. And the guy walking next to them, clearly they didn't come together. His clothes are dirty, right? They're worn out. They don't fit right. He's wearing the shabby rags of poverty. And a decision is made by someone who sees them both enter. A value judgment is made. The rich man is asked to take the last good seat, and the poor man is asked to go stand in the corner or find some place on the floor to sit. And notice the question that James poses in verse 4. He asks, Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? This is a rhetorical question. This is a question that's supposed to have an obvious answer to you. It's it's a, a statement in the form of a question. The word not implies that the question demands a positive answer. James is saying, if you have done something like this, You have made distinctions. You have discriminated. You have been partial. And he says this way of thinking and acting is what? He calls it wicked. Wicked. Believers shouldn't prefer 
one person over another because of their outward appearance or their wealth. But money isn't the only factor of our favoritism, is it? It's not. People might win our affection because of where we're from or what our last name is, whether or not they went to college, what college they went to, how many degrees they have, what they do for a living, how they carry themselves, maybe their speech patterns. Maybe it's the topics of their conversations, their circle of friends, where they've vacationed. The list can go on and on. And sadly, the opposite is true as well. Like the person in the illustration who's asked to sit on the corner or take a seat on the floor. Some people find themselves mistreated for other reasons. Maybe it's because of their appearance. Maybe it's because they're poor and they're uneducated. Perhaps it's where they're from. Maybe it's their ethnicity or their nationality. Maybe it's their checkered past. Maybe you know something about their past. For whatever reason, they're not treated fairly. They're passed over. Christians shouldn't make assumptions. And they shouldn't make assumptions based on outward appearances. You remember King Saul. Why did God's people select him as king? Do you remember? In 1 Samuel 9, it tells us that Saul was selected because he was from a wealthy family and he was a very handsome man. Um, Verse 3 says, There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Saul was tall, and he was wealthy, and he was good-looking. But he didn't turn out to be such a great king, as you might know. And God ultimately rejected him from being king because of his rebellion and because of his presumption. And so what happened next God sent the prophet Samuel to go and speak to the sons, to go to Jesse's house and to see his sons because he was going to anoint one of his sons. And so Jesse brings his sons in there and the prophet Samuel thinks he knows which one God has selected. And in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, God says, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Do you think God's right? He says that we look at the outward appearance. Is he wrong? Making choices based on outward appearances and showing favoritism can be disastrous. You might remember the patriarch Jacob. He came from a family situation where his father favored his brother Esau because he was an outdoorsman, but his mother favored him. And sadly, Jacob made the same mistake with his children. He had a favorite Genesis 37 verses 3 and 4 says, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his sons, 
because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Joseph's brothers wanted to kill him because of their father's partiality. This sin causes division and it causes strife. James says, show no partiality as you hold the faith. Don't be deceived by your eyes. Be fair. Be just. Don't discriminate because of wealth and poverty. Don't discriminate against the poor in favor of the rich. And as the text goes on, James begins to give us his rationale. You see that you should hold the faith without dishonoring. That's our second heading. Hold the faith without dishonoring. In verses 5 through 7, James says not to dishonor, dishonor the poor because they have been chosen by God. Bring your attention to verse 5. He writes, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? James' point is that in general, the poor have some spiritual advantages. The materially poor are more likely to find themselves crying out to God in need. They're less likely to suffer from the delusion that they are self-sustaining and self-sufficient. The poor knows what it means to be in need, to be dependent. And let's not forget that most people in the ancient world were poor, weren't they? They were slaves. They were serfs. They were carpenters. They were farmers. They were petty merchants and so forth. And you know that Jesus himself was born into a poor family. The scripture wants you to know that. And he grew up in a small village that wasn't known for much of anything. And when he get, began his ministry at a local synagogue, he took up the scroll of Isaiah and he read these words. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus was sent to preach the good news to all who find themselves in need. And as Jesus preached, word spread. Great crowds began to form around him, and the scripture says that they heard him gladly. He preached as one who had authority, and he was full of compassion. Those who were poor and sick and destitute flocked to the Lord. Jesus didn't look at outward appearance, 
He looked at the heart. He wasn't impressed by riches or your social status. Even his enemies admitted that he wasn't swayed by men or the positions that they held. Jesus can take sinners, broken vessels like you and me, and he can do great things. He used the poor and the lowly to change the world. Not many of Christ's followers were powerful or nobly born. In 1 Corinthians 1, 26-29, Paul says, Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. James asks, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who were poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? It's another rhetorical question. Yes. Yes, he has. Don't dishonor the poor. Bring them Christ. Demonstrate his self-sacrificial love to them. Bring them the gospel so that they will be rich in the faith and heirs of the kingdom. In chapter 1, James points believers to their inheritance. Do you remember in verse 9, he said, Let the lowly brother, that poor brother, boast in his exaltation. That is, let the poor believer boast in his riches. To which, of course, you're supposed to ask, what riches? What riches are you talking about, James? In verse 12, he reminds them that God has promised to crown believers with eternal life and that that promise is so sure, it is so sure they could boast in it. And in chapter 2, verse 6, James continues, but you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? James is not saying that all the rich oppressed them. Of course, he's not saying that, but some did. This was the general, their general experience historically, and it was their present experience. Life for the poor was very hard, but for poor Christians, it was even worse. The Christians of James' day were experiencing persecution in various forms. Some of it was physical, but there were other parts of the persecution they faced. You were known as a believer. You couldn't find work. Some weren't allowed to purchase in the marketplace. And sometimes their wages were withheld. Others were repeatedly dragged into court. 
In James's day, Christians often found themselves abused by the rich entrepreneurial class. This text isn't saying that God refuses to save the rich. There are many wealthy believers in Scripture. We talked about that recently, about Abraham and about Job. The point is that it is absurd to be partial toward anyone. All of mankind is made in the image of God. And Christians are called to treat people, all people, with honor and dignity, regardless of whether they're rich or poor. You see, Christians are called to love their neighbors as themselves. They aren't supposed to withhold their love from anybody. James wants the church to put their faith into action. And we see that as the text continues. James is calling out the sin of partiality. In verses 8 through 13, you see that you should hold the faith without disregarding. That's our third heading. Hold the faith without disregarding. In verse 8, James writes, If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. James mentions the royal law, and this is a reference to the Ten Commandments. And when you talk about, when we talk about the Ten Commandments, sometimes we talk about it containing two tables, don't we? We talk about it containing uh, two parts. The first table of the law is about loving God. The first four commandments have no other gods. Worship the true God in the right way. No idols, right? No visual aids. Don't take God's name in vain. Don't be presumptuous. Recognize him. And keep the Sabbath or the Lord's day holy. And the second table of the law is about loving other people. Loving our neighbors, commandments 5 through 10. Honor your father and mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not covet. Right? Don't envy your neighbor's things. And Jesus really highlighted this for us when a legal expert asked him which was the greatest commandment of the law. He he gives us these two categories. He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And he continued, this is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. On another occasion, Jesus received pushback about his assertion that we are called to love our neighbors. The passage of Scripture, of course, is referred to as the parable of the Good Samaritan. And in it, Jesus explains that the definition of neighbor means every person you come in contact with, even your perceived enemies, even those people, even that person. Who? Those people that you might be thinking of. 
that person that every time they come into your life, you roll your eyes. Maybe you don't roll your eyes outwardly, but you roll your eyes inwardly. That person. Christians are called to love others. Any person that God gives you an opportunity to love. James says, don't disregard the royal law. Verse 9 continues, If you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Let me ask you some questions. Are you giving someone a hard time? You know what I mean. Maybe it's a coworker. They, for whatever reason, they can't seem to catch a break with you. Uh, they turn in their work to you, but you always send it back, even though you would have accepted it. Uh, it would have been acceptable if someone else turned it in. Are you showing partiality? Is there someone you always give the miserable jobs to? Maybe it's just constant comments. Are you picking on someone? Are you being a bully? If so, watch out. Partiality is a sin. It's a serious sin. Christians are called to be just, not marking out some people for special favor and others for punishment. In verse 10, James continues, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. For he who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, Do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder you have become a transgressor of the law. James uses what some theologians call the seamless garment principle. And the idea is this. The law of God is like one seamless garment. And when it's ripped in one place, the entire garment is torn. Does that make sense? It takes one lie to make you a liar. It takes one adulterous act to make you an adulterer, one theft to make you a thief, and one broken law to make you a lawbreaker. And Scripture associates murder with discrimination against the poor and failure to love your neighbor. Partiality, as it turns out, is a Sixth Commandment violation. This passage is not just about what you shouldn't do, though, is it? It's also a call to action. It says to love your neighbors. It's about loving others like Christ loved you. Here James called to action in verse 12. He says, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. James talked about the law of liberty in chapter 1, verse 25, didn't he? he? We talked about that last week. This is a reference to the second person who looked into the mirror of God's word, 
the one who sees their sin, turns from it, and embraces Christ as Savior. Uh, James calls the Bible the perfect law of liberty because it reflects God's perfect character and it leads us to Christ who liberates us from sin and guilt by his atoning sacrifice. James says, so speak and so act as ones who are in Christ. And James concludes in verse 13 with a terrifying warning of judgment. He says, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. And Jesus talked about this, didn't he, with the parable of the unforgiving servant, with the parable of the unmerciful servant. In that parable, Jesus condemns being unmerciful and unforgiving. An unmerciful spirit reveals a heart that has not received mercy. But the heart that has been the object of divine mercy will itself extend mercy. Verse 13 ends by saying, mercy triumphs over judgment. You see, once a person understands that divine mercy has overcome divine justice at the cross of Christ and embraces it personally, a transformation begins. They themselves become enabled by the power of the Holy Spirit to extend mercy to others, to put aside the vanity of partiality and extend love and mercy. That is the message that James is seeking to communicate. He's instructing the church not to show partiality or discriminate against anyone, but rather to fulfill the royal law of liberty, to love God and to love neighbors as themselves. So what does this passage say about partiality? James says not to discriminate or show partiality. In particular, he says not to dishonor the poor. And James calls upon the church to speak and to act as those who are fulfilling the royal law of liberty, as those who are actively following Christ. James says to hold the faith without discriminating, dishonoring, or disregarding to hold the faith without partiality. But the truth is, we all struggle with partiality. If we didn't, God wouldn't have given us this passage. And he knows we need it. True believers strive to obey and fail. And it's at that point, it's at that point you must look to the cross and embrace the gospel afresh. Remember, the one who demands mercy shows mercy. For Christians, the final word is grace. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we are 
grateful that you are who you are, that you're fair and that you're just, and that you're not deceived and you're not dissuaded. You see things as they truly are. And Lord, we are so grateful that you extended your mercy to us. Lord, as we look into the mirror of your word, as we look into this epistle, we are confronted by what we see, what we see in ourselves. Lord, we have been guilty, as you know, of showing partiality um, and maybe even rejoicing when we receive um, someone's uh, love, particular love just bestowed upon us. Lord, we'd ask that you'd help us with these things. Lord, we want to love like you love. And for that, uh, we need supernatural love. We've noticed that you have said that love is a fruit of the Spirit. Uh, Lord, would you help us to bear the fruit of the Spirit, that we would love you and love our neighbors, even as Christ has loved us. Lord, we would ask for your help, and we'd ask that you'd hear our prayer. In Christ's name. Amen.